Can you see him now? Can you see him now? Can you see him now? Welcome, everybody, to a fun new series that we're starting here today. Thank you very much, Mr. Peter. All right. Welcome, everyone, to uh, Friends and Family Day. First of all, I say welcome. I know we have a lot of people who are joining us today for the first time. There are still a scattering of seats over in this area, and, of course, uh, first class is always available here at the well. So if you're looking for a seat, come on over in this direction. There's some stuff, and people will help you out there. We're starting a four-week series today that we're going to have a lot of fun with. And we are going to talk about what, in my opinion, is one of the most important topics in the whole wide world. As the title of the series, as you see up there, as you saw from the beautiful video, is Can You See Him Now? Before I get into the series, I want to tell you a story, and it's a true story, but the names will be changed for the sake of protecting the innocent. Stories about a boy named Jim and a girl named Jane. And Jim and Jane were college students, and they found themselves at the same university, same class, same so many different things. And like most college young people at the time, they're, of course, you know, always checking out the scene to see, you know, what's going on on the scene. And Jim, from the very first time he laid eyes on Jane, said, that's a winner. Jane caught his eye. She was a beautiful girl. She's very, seemed like she's very, like, socially, like, good uh, personality and all that kinds of stuff. And she seemed like a lot of fun to be with. But there was a problem is that every time that Jim tried to talk to Jane, she was really awkward. And every time he went to talk to her, he felt like, like she like, is looking down at him. 
And he felt really intimidated by her because she was like beautiful. She was smart. She had friends. Like she had it all going for her. And every time he would come near her, he just felt like intimidated by her. Like she was looking down at him like he wasn't good enough for her. So of course, because he kept feeling that, he would avoid her. And then when he would run into her, he would like kind of be all awkward and nervous and stuff like that. And then, you know, she would, you know, whatever. And he'd just feel like judged by her at every step of the way in their relationship. Fast forward two years down the road. They've now known each other for two years. And this relationship has continued at an arm's length kind of a level. Never really close because she's so stuck up. And she's so full of herself and so arrogant that she would never give a guy like Jim a chance. And every time she saw him, she made sure that he knew that. All right. Fast forward two years. They are now both working on the college newspaper together. And what happens to Jim next is his worst nightmare. As they get assigned to a project together where they need to travel to some place, just the two of them, and they have to carpool together for a two-hour car ride. Jim's worst nightmare. Like all these years, he had been dancing around. He didn't want to actually because he liked her, but she was never reciprocating that. And he always felt intimidated by her. So the worst thing that you could imagine if you're Jim is spend two hours with this woman on the way there and on the way back with no buffer. Okay, no third party to like kind of to assist in the situation. Just one on one, Jim and Jane. And he is dreading the moment. So Jim, like any good guy, would do, he comes up with a strategy of how he's gonna attack these two hours and what topics he's going to bring up and how he's going to make sure that the conversation stays superficial, arm's length, so it never gets into an awkward kind of a thing. And he brings his A game and they get in the car and he starts with the small talk about the weather this and politics that and sports this. And he gets through all his topics, all his topics, all his topics. And then he realizes he's still out of the two hour trip has about an hour and 45 minutes to go. Because that's about as much as we got in there that we can talk about on our own. Then it becomes kind of awkward silent. And Jane says the following. Says, Jim, can I share something with you? And in his mind, he says, here we go. Here we go. She's going to lay into me and tell me how I'm not as smart as she is, and I'm not as funny as she, her friends are, and I'm not as good at this newspaper thing, and here we go. She's about to lay into me and give me a piece of her mind. So Jane goes, I want to tell you that I feel like there's a barrier in our relationship. I feel intimidated every time I talk to you. I feel like you don't like me. I feel like you look down at me. I feel like you think that I'm not worthy to like be your friend. Jim sits just like that for a couple seconds, starts laughing hysterically, and they've been married ever since, and they live happily ever after to this day. Because Jim went on to tell her exactly how he had been feeling the same way about her to him for two years, and the whole time he was laughing because the whole time she was feeling that way from him to her. <clears throat> the story that I just told you, like I said, it's a true story that ends very happy. And the two, like I said, they hopefully, hopefully live happily ever after. But the story was almost not a very happy ending. And the story, which was supposed to be written as a fairy tale story, 
almost ended in disaster if it weren't for this forced conversation that took place on this one day where they were stuck in the car ride together. Had that car ride never taken place, had that car ride never taken place, two people who were meant to be together would have never found each other. Why? Because of his feelings towards her or her feelings towards him? No. Not because of how he thought about her or she thought about him, but how they perceived the other's feelings about each other. It wasn't a reality that almost stopped this relationship. It wasn't an incompatibility. It was a perception of an incompatibility. It was a perception of that this wouldn't work that almost stopped this great thing from happening and taking place. Welcome to a new series called Can You See Him Now? And the basis of this series is this following statement that I'm going to make. Whoop. This following statement that I'm going to make. The basis of this series is that the most telling characteristic about a man is what his view of God is. This will determine the outcome of his life more than anything else. Listen carefully. The most telling, most important thing about you is what your perception of God is, not the reality of who God is. I know you say that's kind of like a bold statement. Not the reality of who God is. Your perception of the reality is more important than the reality. And Jim and Jane are a perfect example because the reality was one thing, that these two are made to be for each other. But the perception was that she doesn't like me or she is arrogant or she thinks I am or that he on vice versa on the other side. The perception of your perception of who God is will ultimately affect your life more than the reality of who God is. And because of that, because of that, this is why this series is so important. What we're going to talk about in this series is we are going to try to get rid of all the misperceptions about who God is. And we are going to try to see God. And just like in the video, we're going to go through different circumstances of life. And we have all these perceptions in our mind that this means that God doesn't. Or this means that God wants me to. Or this means that God is trying to tell me. All these ideas in our head. And I'm telling you that if those perceptions are wrong, if those perceptions are inaccurate, it will really mess you up. It'll mess up your relationships if you don't have an accurate view of who God is. It'll mess up your career if you don't have an accurate view of who God is, especially your relationship between your career and the balanced life. It'll mess up your personal spiritual life, your ability to overcome temptation, your ability to live a healthy life. If you don't have a proper view of who God is, I promise you it's going to affect you in so many ways that you never even realize. I said a minute ago a bold statement. I said your perception of who God is, is more, will affect you more than the reality of who God is. I say the word God, each of you has a picture in your mind. I say, God, I tell you, I say, I say, I'm a priest. You instantly have a perception of what church is, of who God is, of who Christians are. You instantly have a perception of who God is and what does he want from your life. And that perception could have come from your parents. I'm sure your parents played a role in it. Your friends. If you had an idiot professor in college, he may have played a role in it. If you had an intelligent professor, he may have played a role in it. Oprah may have played a role in it for all I know. I don't care where it came from. All of us have been affected by many influences to build up today a picture of who God is. And if that picture is incorrect or inaccurate, then your life is never going to reach its maximum potential. 
here you have some options. Let's see, for example, let's say mean boss. Let's say in my mind, God is a mean boss. God is just a, don't do that. Don't touch that. Go over there. Wake up early. Stay up late. Don't eat that. Don't have fun. Don't smile. Wear black beard. <laughs> you have a picture of God as this mean tyrant, like an angry CEO who storms into the boardroom and fires people and, and, and no soup for you and, and you're terminated. And then I come say, hey, we're going on a weekend retreat. Spend a whole weekend with God. You're going to say, no, thanks. Like who in their right mind wants to spend a weekend with their boss? Look who the boss says, I'm going away for a weekend. Come and spend a weekend with me. If you hate your boss, why in the world do you want to spend a weekend with your boss? So if God is just nothing more than your boss and he's a mean boss, you're not going to be very eager to spend time with him. Let's say God is like a policeman to you. Always looking with his stick. Cut you. Always looking to try to catch you. Then how are you going to walk around around God? You walk on eggshells. You can go to church. You can walk on eggshells. Then you're going to walk out and say, thank God, done that. Thank God. I don't have to go back there for another seven days. All right? Because you, God, is just a policeman. You're on eggshells, and you don't want to. It's going to affect your life. Let's go to the opposite extreme. Let's go to the cool guy in the sky. Your God is just a fun dude. All right? Your God is always smiling. It never rains where your God is. And your God is just forgiveness and good stuff. And then preacher comes and says, you have to fight against sin. You say, why fight against sin, man? My God is laid back. Laid back, God. Life is easy. Your view of God affects who you are in ways that you don't see, in ways that you may not be able to, like, to, to, to elaborate on and to, to put into words. But I guarantee you it is guiding you in your decisions and how you treat other people in many more ways than you think about. I say this, there are two questions in life. And your answer to these two questions will determine who you end up as, as a person in this life and in eternity as well. And those two questions are this. What do you see when you look at God? And two, what do you think God sees when he looks at you? And the two are, are two sides of the same coin. It's the same question as who is your God? What do you see when you look at God? You look up and you, I say, okay, now we're going to pray. And you look up. What do you see? A mean guy? A policeman? A judge? A cool guy in the sky? What do you see? And then the flip of that, what do you think God sees when he looks down at you? You answer me these two questions and I'll tell you exactly where you will end up in life. Jim and Jane. Jim wanted to have a relationship with Jane. Jim, how do you see her? Mean, arrogant, whatever, whatever, whatever. How do you think she views you? She thinks I'm an idiot. Okay, I will tell you there's no chance of success for this relationship. I'll tell you right now, move on. Next train. Because of how you view her and how you think she views you, there's no chance for this relationship. And I'm telling you, you and God, tell me how you view God, tell me how you think he views you, and I'll tell you, you got no shot of a successful relationship. Or I'll tell you that you are in a perfect situation to have an eternal and infinite relationship with your maker. What I'm inviting you to do this series, and this is going to be the hardest part of the series. The hardest part of the series is not going to be to understand the truth about God because the truth is clear. 
the truth shines like a bright light, and we'll see it beginning next week. The hardest part is going to be this week, which is going to be to throw away the misperceptions. Throw away my crumpled up, 50-cent, pathetic view of God that, like I said, I gathered from all these different sources all along the years, and to get rid of that and to put out of my mind that who I always thought God was, that's not really God. Because maybe, just maybe, maybe the problem in your spiritual life, maybe the problem in your journey to God, maybe the reason you're always frustrated, maybe it's not a problem, as we often think it is, that I'm not good enough, or that I can't, I need to try harder. Or maybe it's not a problem with me at all. Maybe it's a problem with my perception. Maybe the problem isn't that God is unfair. Maybe it's that I have a problem understanding what true fairness is. Maybe the problem isn't that God doesn't love me. Maybe the problem is that I don't understand what true love is supposed to look like. Maybe God isn't against me, as I always tend to tell myself. He's against me. He doesn't want to bless me because I did this. Maybe I don't understand what against me and for me really means. I believe... I have like this theory in life. And this theory, I believe, applies to 100% of the people on planet Earth. 100% of the people on planet Earth. I believe 100% of the people on this planet have a deep, deep, deep desire to be close to God. And you say, I know people who don't care about God. I promise you, every person who is, is programmed in our DNA to have a deep, deep, deep relationship with God. It's not my words only. The smartest man who walked the face of this earth was a man named Solomon, other than a Christ, of course. A guy named Solomon. And Solomon said the following in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, He, being God, has put eternity in our hearts. And God, when he created us, he, put, he programmed a little piece inside of us, inside of our DNA. He put a little chip in there, which is called eternity. And that eternal piece cannot be satisfied by limited, finite, created things. Eternity is the only thing that can fill an eternal void. That eternal void, we may try, say, you know what, if I make a bunch of money, that'll fill me. And we know not a person in this room, even the dumbest person in the world know that all the money in the world won't make you happy. Even the dumbest person in the world knows that. We think, well, maybe if I achieve this success or I had these letters behind my name, this degree, or if this girl liked me or if this boy liked me or if this girl would leave me alone or this whatever it may be. We think all these things and we try and we try and we try. None of those things fit. Remember the little game when we had kids, we were the kids, the little the circle fit in the circle, the square fit in the square, the star fit in the star. None of those finite pieces fit in this eternal box. Only eternity fits in eternity. And every one of us has a deep desire to be connected to God. Now, the reason that we're not connected with God, we think, is because we're bad. Or because he's bad. Or because what he said isn't true. Or what people are telling us isn't true. Or I'm not trying hard enough. Or all these different things. And I believe that the problem, I don't want to say 100% of the time, because not 100%. Sometimes it is. It's, it's lack of desire. But I'm telling you, deep inside is not lack of desire. I believe it's lack of clear sight. It's lack of seeing who God is accurately. Because if you saw who he is, and you saw who you are in his eyes, man, be a no-brainer. Here's our verse for this series, and it's more of a prayer than it is a verse. All right, one time Jesus is walking down the road in Matthew chapter 20, 
and the Bible talks about two blind men who were standing at the side of the road. They started screaming to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. So the apostles tell them, keep it down, keep it down, keep it down. Important man, VIP walking through here. And they start screaming more, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us. And Jesus comes and says, relax. What y'all want? What's, what's the problem? What's, what's, what's making all the noise? And they said this. He said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Screaming, have mercy on us, help us, save us. What you want? Open our eyes. And what does Jesus do? He says, so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed Jesus. This is our prayer. This is what's going to carry us through this series, is that many of us on the side of the road, all right, and we're screaming, and we don't know what we're screaming for. We just know that we're not comfortable. We're not satisfied in life. Something isn't right. I got money. Money doesn't do it. I got friends. I hate my friends. I got success. It's not filling me. I got everything that I'm supposed to have, but it's not filling me. Something isn't right. So we're screaming, and we don't even know what we're screaming for because we're blind. We're just screaming, saying, just somebody help me. Somebody do something. And today Jesus walks by, and Jesus says, what do you want? And we are going to respond. Let's say this all together, this bold part. Let's say it all together right now. We're responding to Jesus. Jesus is saying to us, what is it you want? And our response is, Lord, that our eyes may be open. Again, our response is, Lord, that our eyes may be open. That's all we want. We just want to see things accurately. We just want to see who you are. We want to see who we are in your eyes. And I promise you, man, there is no way Jesus walks by someone who says, I want to see you and says, okay, let me get back to you. Can you fill out a form? Can you submit it two weeks in advance next time? Jesus on the spot. Touched them, had compassion, touched them, and all of a sudden they could see stuff. And their entire life, this is very important, their entire life was transformed in that moment. A blind person opened their eyes. Their entire existence was transformed. And I believe that this series can be life and eternity transforming for us as well. When we open our eyes to see God as he really is and as he is meant for us to see him. Can you imagine going through life with bad eyesight? What happens to a person who doesn't have, like maybe if there's some people here who need glasses, all right, or contacts, and you don't wear them for one day? How's that day work out for you? You're walking around, and you're kind of unsure yourself, okay? And you kind of, you know what I mean? Like you do like that to try to squint and see the stuff. Okay, I remember there was this kid in school who used to, he didn't like to wear glasses, so he would sit, literally, he would sit like this the whole class. Like this is how he would sit, you know what I mean? To try to see. And he couldn't see, but he just didn't want to wear glasses, or I don't know why, just that way he would sit. You're frustrated. You can't do anything accurately in life. Like you can't drive with confidence, you can't run with confidence, you can't. It's a frustrating experience to walk around your whole life and not know anything. Just uh, two days ago, uh, I took my kids um, to a, a Smithsonian Museum. And we went to one of these IMAX things, okay, the 3D. I shelled out the nine bucks a ticket. Okay, I thought it was free when we stood in line, okay. <laughs> get to the front and realize it, but I wouldn't be embarrassed in front of my kids, okay. So we get to the front. All right, and they give us the glasses, okay? So, of course, like, we're playing with the, the 3D glasses, and we're like, ooh, you know what I mean? And we're all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of cool wearing 3D glasses, 
But can you imagine if you were wearing 3D glasses while you're walking around in the universe? And someone says, oh, there's a nice painting with red and blue. And you see, no, I don't see any of those kind of colors. And you see that, something fun. And, and you're walking, and it kind of messes your depth perception up when you're wearing those things. So everything's kind of like crazy mirrors kind of a thing. Well, that's how many of us are walking in our spiritual life. That's how many of us are walking because we don't see God. And we're kind of blinded, and like we're kind of hoping that the cliff doesn't end right here, but we really don't know because we can't see. Well, what we're going to do in this series, we're going to open our eyes and say, oh my goodness, I didn't know there's a cliff that falls off down here, and I didn't know there's a river over there, and I didn't know there's a staircase up here. We want to see God clearly so that we can live the way we're supposed to live. Another story I remember. I remember when, so I used to wear uh, contact lenses, and then I had that LASIK surgery back like many, many, many years ago. And I remember when, when I had it, they said, after this surgery, you're going to have something that's called a halo effect. All right, I don't know if y'all know what this is. Halo effect around lights. So I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't see any of that stuff. And then I went back for the follow-up and they're like, you know, it's good, good, the halo effect. And I'm like, I don't have that, doc. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, no. And she's like, don't you see when you see like a light, like a shining around the light? I'm like, yeah, that's, but, but that's always been there. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, like what kind of idiot doesn't see that? You know what I mean? Like only a moron wouldn't see the light. Like that's part of the light is the light around it in the dark. Okay. And she's like, that's the halo effect. But because you've always had this eye condition, you never knew that you couldn't see the light accurately because you always had it that way. And I'm telling you the same way with God. Sometimes you tell someone something about God, like this with this verse, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I say, you know what? That means that guilt, you don't need to have guilt. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, no, there's no guilt. They're like, no, no, no. I don't know what you're talking about. There has to be guilt. And I'm like, no, there's no guilt in Christ. You don't have to ever carry an ounce of guilt for the rest of your life and rest of your eternity if you are in Christ Jesus. But if you live your whole life weighed down with guilt, and I say no guilt, you say, you're talking about Father Anthony? There's guilt. Guilt is part of life. And I say, it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. We need to get past these misconceptions. We need God to open our eyes. What we need to do, like Jim and Jane, is remove the misconceptions and open the door to a new relationship that'll be fulfilling in a way that you could never imagine but you will never get there. I picture it, like I said, in my mind, I picture a picture of God that each of us is carrying in our pockets. This crumpled up little piddly old picture of this pathetic little God who can't heal, who doesn't give us power, who's just mean, who's whatever, like whatever your misperception, this piddly little picture of God. You're never gonna cross this bridge and you're never gonna have a deep relationship as long as you're carrying around this picture. So everyone, this is what you're gonna do right now in your mind, okay? I, I know people don't do it. Like when we were kids, we used to carry pictures in our wallets, okay? Y'all remember wallets? We used to carry pictures in them, right? I know people don't do that, but you have a picture on your phone. But it's more cool if you think of that wallet, okay? I want you to take that picture out of your wallet of God and throw it in the trash can. Or your picture of God on your phone and delete it, okay? And we're going to put a new picture in there. And we need to see God as he really is. Get rid of that little picture of God that our parents gave us, that our friends gave us, that TV gave us, that our own logic gave us, that the devil and guilt and shame gave us, and let's see who God really is. Starting next week, we're going to look at different characteristics of God. 
We're going to look at the sovereignty of God. What does that mean that God is sovereign, ruler of all? We're going to look at, in the next week, the love of God. What does it mean we say God is love? The most misunderstood word in all of the universe is the word love, and we don't have a clue what it means. We'll talk about what it means from God's perspective. Then we're going to see, the last week, what does it mean when I say God is just and God is fair? Because, again, we have very incorrect views of God's justice. But that's all starting next week. What we're going to do today is we're going to get rid of that old picture of God. I want to talk about three misperceptions about God that all of us have and that we need to get rid of if we're going to take the steps to understand who God is truly. The first mistake that we always make about God is that God is not like us. God is not like us. God is not just us times 10 or times 100 or even times a million. We think of God, like this sounds so simple, but it's, it's, it's as life-changing effects. We think of God as like, okay, a nice person, the nicest person, God. Like God is nice, and here's like your nicest person, and then here's God. And then God is like a loving person, or sorry, a, a, a normal person, a very loving person, a very, very loving person, God. And we make God just a little bit higher than we are. But I'm telling you, God is not even on the same plane as me and you are. God doesn't talk like us. God doesn't think like us. God doesn't treat us like we treat others. God doesn't have anything to do with the way that we think that he has. God is completely different. Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet said this, verse 25. To whom then, I'm sorry, this is God speaking through Isaiah. God is saying, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who then will you liken me to? Who is my equal? See, here's the problem that we have. All right, we know that we are created in the image of God, right? The Bible says that God created man in his image. God created man in his image. We are the image of God. God is not the image of us. And what's the difference? I have children. My children were created in my image, so to speak. They took a lot from me, but they didn't take everything from me. And I cannot look at their behavior as children and extrapolate it out to me as their father. My kid is whiny. So I say, oh, their dad must be whiny too. The kid is crying. I say, the dad must cry when he doesn't get food. And I say, the kid cries for an hour when he doesn't get food. So the dad probably cries for like 10 minutes when he doesn't get food. Some of you are laughing because you know, but it's, I don't, okay? But that maybe wasn't the best example, okay? Because when we're hungry, we're hungry. But you know what I'm trying to say, okay? The kid, like, spills stuff. Well, that's not a best example either, okay? The kid, you know, uh, hits his sister when he doesn't get his way. So you say, oh, the father must be the same way. You can't do that. You can go this way, but you cannot go this way. And the same thing between us and God. We say to ourselves, I should forgive that person. And I forgive this and I forgive this, but there's no way I'll forgive this. And we won't. So we say, you know what? God is like that, but God is just a little bit better. So God will forgive this and probably this and probably this, but there comes a point in time with God where he won't forgive something either. Why? Because you made God like you. And you say, God is love, but we love too. So I love my brother 
and I will do this for my brother, and I will do this, but I ain't going to do this. So we say, okay, God will probably do this. Maybe he'll do this, but there's going to come a point in time where God will say, I ain't doing that for you either. God is not like us. God is not like us. You cannot extrapolate human characteristics up and say that that is how God is. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, and there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. For those who have, I know several people here have served on mission trips to Africa. All right, and when we go to Africa, um, people in Africa, they like to sing. They like to sing a lot. And they have very nice songs, very simple songs, but beautiful songs. And there's one song that's my favorite song. And if you've been to Africa, you know what song I'm talking about. What's that song say? It says, there's no one like Jesus. It says, there's no one like Jesus. Do y'all know this song? It says, there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. And then the second line is, there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. Third line, there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. Fourth line, there's no one, there's no one like him. Okay, well, that's your part you have to memorize, is him, okay? And then the song goes, and there's like a little dance associated with it, okay? And it says, like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm walking, walking, okay? Y'all know the song? Y'all want me to sing the song? Okay. There's no one, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one, there's no one like Jesus. This was not part of the plan. There's no one, there's no one like Jesus. Sing it with me. There's no one, there's no If you know it, help me out here. I'm walking, walking here, there. I'm searching, searching here, there. Oh, I messed it up. I turn around here, there. There's no one, there's no one like him. Clap for me. <laughs> Clap for me. Because you think it's hard to talk up here. Come try to sing and dance up here. I love that song. There's no one like Jesus. And the song says, and I messed up the little dance routine. It's been a while. Okay. I'm searching, searching, or I'm looking. There's no one like him. I'm searching. There's no one like him. I turn around, and I still haven't found anyone like him. And it's a beautiful, simple little song. We sing the song for like 20 minutes at a time. All right. And we go and dipsy-doo and all this kinds of stuff. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. And put in your mind that if you think he's just a little bit smarter than you, a little bit better than you, a little bit kinder than you, man, you got it way wrong because there's no one, there's no one like him. If you forget it, I'm going to come to your house and sing it, okay, and make you sing it as well. St. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Number one misconception about God he is not like us. Number two, our tendency, because he's not like us, we try, to, we try to figure out who he is and make him like us. Our tendency is to reduce God and make him smaller and try to fit him into a little box. We as human beings have a problem. We are all arrogant. We do not like things that are bigger than us. We do not like things that cannot be explained by us. That is part of our arrogance as human beings. And because of that, what we try to do, you have, you have a problem here when it comes, God says, I am infinite. 
God says, I am eternal. We have a problem. Our minds are not eternal. God says, I am. So you have two choices in this situation. Option A is to take this infinite God and shrink him down to fit in my finite mind. Or option B is to humble myself in my finite mind to appreciate an infinite God. Of those two options, we usually choose A. We don't like things that don't fit in our brain. We don't like things where we say it cannot be explained. We don't like things that make us feel like we're not the smartest creature in the universe. So what we do is we take God down, and just like this picture, I love this picture, okay? We try to force him, get in that box, and we try to like cut pieces off him and try to squeeze him in there until we can wrap God up in a nice little to-go box, okay? A little carry-home package that says, this is God, and I fully understand him, and I can explain him, and someone comes and says, no, you don't understand God, and I say, oh, you're so such a simpleton. You're so naive. You're not as smart as me. I figured God out. Look, I can wear him on my backpack right here. This is a cute little God in a box, and I have him fully explained. And nothing makes us sound so ignorant as to when we think that we can explain God and our finite little brains. From the beginning of time, this is the way human beings were. Romans chapter 1, St. Paul says in verse 21, speaking about in the, in the olden days, how the people, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they didn't feel comfortable with God being up there and them being down here. So what did they do? Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's a great verse. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Then it goes on to say how they made uh, idols out of stone, out of wood, out of rocks, out of water, the sun. They did all these things, and they said, there's God. And they did these stupid little statues, and they said, there's God. I got him in the palm of my hand. And professing to be wise, they're fools. Now you say, we don't do that. I tell you, I guarantee you, you do it. We naturally shrink God down. And I'll tell you exactly how big your God is. You want me to tell you exactly the size of your God? Exactly how big your God is? Go to your biggest problem. And your God is one notch smaller. The solution to our problems, this is why I always tell people, the solution, are you reading your Bible? 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 The solution to our problems isn't necessarily the solution to our problems. The solution to our problems is an expanded view of who God is. You have a problem and you say, this illness, this illness is the worst thing and it's the biggest problem in my life and it's ruining my life. Do you know how big your God is? Your God is big enough to solve everything below illness, but he can't solve illness. He can't overcome it. He's not big enough. You say, my problem is my boss, and my boss, and my boss, and my boss. Do you know how big your God is? A little bit smaller than your boss. I'll tell you exactly how big your God is. You've reduced him. Go to what your biggest problem is in life. The thing that, that, that you complain about, and the thing that weighs you down, and the thing that you say, I can't live with this. That's exactly 
the size of your God. And if your God became bigger, I guarantee you that problem would become a lot smaller. If you struggle with this, I'm going to give you a verse. Like there's verses, then there's verses. There's verses, and then there are verses. This is a verse. It's Isaiah 55, verse 9. This is a verse. This is God saying, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know why this is a verse? Because this, for all those who are, think that spirituality is like fluffy, intangible, like whatever, this is a verse for you. God gave you physics right here. God has given you math. God has given you a formula. Say, so I'm not just telling you that I'm big. I'm going to give you a formula. I'm going to give you a scientific formula to tell you how much bigger I am than your piddly little brain. And what's that formula? As the heavens are higher than the earth. As the heavens, how high are the heavens above earth? Thanks to Wikipedia, we know some statistics here. We know that the furthest, the heavens, meaning like that, like outer space, okay? As outer space is high above the earth, so am I above you, my ways above your ways, my thoughts in your ways. The furthest galaxy that has been uh, discovered by mankind, according to Wikipedia, okay? So forgive me if my statistics are wrong, but it doesn't really matter because when I tell you the numbers, it doesn't really matter. I got 13.8 billion light years away. 13.8. And we can even round down to 13 billion light years in case you're questioning the validity of the numbers. Do y'all know how far 13 billion light years is? Y'all know what a light year is? A light year, in case you didn't know, is the distance that light travels in a year. So light goes really, really, really fast at 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. So the sun, again, I don't know any of this stuff, but it's Wikipedia. The sun is 93 million miles away. So at the speed of light, a ray of light that we see on this earth is roughly eight minutes old. Eight minutes! That ray of light been traveling for eight minutes to go from the sun down to here, down to the street. Eight minutes! I'm telling you, if a ray of light said, ready, go! and ran after the furthest end of the galaxy, the highest place in the heavens. You know how long he'd be running for? He'd be running for 13.8 billion years before he reached the end. And that is God saying, with all due respect, man, that's how much smarter I am than you. So this is God's way of like, you know how when you're so smart, you insult someone in a nice way? Okay, that's basically what God did right here. So he said, with all due respect, with all due respect to your professors, with all due respect to your smart brain, with all due respect to how intelligent you think you are, me on my dumbest day, the dumbest part of my body, on my dumbest day, on the dumbest day ever made, is still 13.8 billion light years you, smarter than you plus Einstein on your smartest day. He's not like us. He isn't anything close to us. And the saddest thing in the world is people whose God, like I told you, everyone has a picture of God. Saddest thing is that every day, your God gets a little bit smaller. That's the saddest thing in the world, is that every day, your God shrinks, becomes a little bit weaker, a little bit smaller. Man, I want my God every day to get bigger 
because I think that if your God is bigger today than he was yesterday, there's still room to grow. And there's still more bigness in God. And you could never, ever get to the end of God's bigness. Just like you can never get to the end of outer space. Okay, you go for 13 billion years, and then you say, okay, now you deserve a break. Okay, I give it to you. But until you get to 13 billion years of seeing God bigger, man, you just keep on and expanding and expanding. I read something on Twitter, and it just kind of came to me. I don't remember exactly what it said, but I'll paraphrase. It said something about everyone should go outside and stare at the stars before making any decision. I don't know. I, I kind of pair. I don't know what exactly it said, but it said something like that. I loved it. I love, I don't ever do the favorite thing, but I favored it out. Everyone, before you make any decision, should go outside and stare at the stars and see the bigness of God and then go ahead and make whatever decision you want to make. God is not like us and God is not small. Our tendency is to reduce him, but the truth of the matter is, is he's bigger. And then third misconception is that God must be revealed. Meaning, God cannot be figured out. We can figure out parts about God, like characteristics about God. There's certain things like, again, we are made in his image, not vice versa. So God put things in us that can understand things about him. Our logic and our brain, God gave to us. And using that, we can understand a lot about God. And using nature around us, we can understand a lot about God. But there's a lot more to God than just what we can see and what we can understand. And the only way that we will understand more of God is he must be revealed, not figured out. In other words, God, we ask, he tells. Not we figure out and, 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 and we tell him. All right, John chapter 1, verse 18. Bible says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, being Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This is why Jesus came to earth, to declare to us. Because in the Old Testament, God taught us a lot about him. We saw a picture, like a high-level picture of who God is. God is like a father. He likes to have children. He kind of protects those children. Like, he has rules. Like, we learned a lot about God. But when Jesus came, he revealed to us so much more about God. And he revealed to us that the rules are important but never more important than the relationship. And he revealed to us what true fatherhood is, is not standing on top of the hill and barking out orders. True fatherhood is coming down like a shepherd and taking the nails for the sake of the sheep. He revealed him to us. And if you sitting there and saying, I think God is this and I think God is this, and it only makes sense that he's this, and then you package your little picture of God and you present it, God can only be revealed to us, not us revealing it to him. Two examples from the Bible. First example is from the book of Job. For those of you who know, the book of Job, famous story about a man named Job, who has all kinds of tra tragic events happen to him in a very short time period. Because Job has all these bad things, Job gets with all his friends, and his friends try to help him make sense of it all. So his friends are doing the speculation game. They're saying, you know what? Man, I bet you God hates your guts. Why else would this happen? Another one says, no, no, I bet you God is trying to teach you a lesson. Another one says, you know, no, I think God doesn't even really care. Like God is, is absent in all this. And they're trying to piece God together. And they spend, the book of Job is 42 chapters. The first 37 chapters trying to figure God out. Chapter 38, God steps in and says, 
Are y'all done yet? Are y'all ready for the answer? And he gives him the answer. Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. When God comes with a whirlwind, it's never a good start to the story. And he says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Like, who are these people who think they understand me? Now he gives them the business. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. He's saying all of this, this whole time, I'm on trial and you're trying to figure me out. Well, let me tell you how this works. I'm going to judge and you're going to sit down and you're going to answer my questions. Then he gives it to him. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have such great understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. He's being sarcastic. Saying, since you're Mr. Smarty Pants and you know everything, tell me, how did that mountain get there? And how did that ocean get there? And how did that river get there? And who hung the stars? And he goes on. Who stretched out the line upon it? Who to what were its foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone? And dot, dot, dot means the rest of the chapter, another 30 verses, goes on and saying, and who created this? And who did this? And since you're so, so smart, who did this? Who did this? Who did this? And at the end of it, Job is like, man, see, I was just saying, like, it was really, it was, what? <laughs> and God basically tells them, same thing he needs to tell some of us. I'm God. You don't tell me who I am. I tell you who I am. Like, forgive me. Like, no, no one take this personal, okay? But the only word that can describe this is arrogant. We are so arrogant that we see God in front of us. And the proper position is we bow down and worship him. But you know what we do because we're arrogant? We stand there and we make him bow down to us. We say, no, God, this is who you are. And I tell you who you are. And I tell you how you behave. And in our arrogance, we make God bow to us. Another example. Even worse. Even dumber. Exodus chapter 32. Famous passage in the Bible people of Israel. Man, if there's any group of people who knew God was a big God, it was the children of Israel. Go back and read the book of Exodus, and you will see that the miracles God did in that book of Exodus, oh my goodness, you ain't never seen miracles like this in the history of the world. God turned a river into blood. God took all the cows and got rid of the bad people cows, but kept the good people cows alive. God sent gnats and flies and, 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 and locusts and God made it at one point in time, this is talking about the 10 plagues, that there was darkness over the entire land, except where these people of Israel were camped out over here. And there was a bright sunlight right here. God killed all the firstborn of all the children of the bad guy. And God took them in front of the Red Sea. And God parted the Red Sea. I'm talking about a group of people, not us who read about the parting of the Red Sea. I'm talking about people who walked in the middle of the ocean. And they like saw the wall of, of, of water right here and they like did their hair in it. You know what I'm saying? Like people who walked in the middle of the ocean and they got to the other side and they said, God, we're hungry. God says, okay, here's manna. From heaven, I rained down food. It said, okay, God, we're thirsty. He says, okay, there's a rock. Bring water from a rock. And a mountain became a water fountain this day. Pillar of cloud lead them by day. And then they said, we can't see the cloud at night when it gets dark. He says, okay, I'll make it a pillar of fire at night. Like if there's any group of people on this planet who knew the bigness of God and who God was, it was these children of Israel. Exodus chapter 32, Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He's up there for 15 minutes too long, and they start to get worried. And they say, Moses left us. Moses left us. And God has left us. And we don't know what we're doing. It's been 15 minutes. We don't know what we're going to do. So what they do is the dumbest event in the history of all mankind. The story of the golden calf. We'll read it right here, starting in verse 2. 
Aaron, okay, who Moses left in charge while he was up atop of the mountain, says to the people, like they got scared, Moses is gone. So Aaron says to the people, don't worry, I'm a priest, I got it under control. He says to the people, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool. And he made a molded calf, then ready for dumbness personified. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is your God, who 15 minutes ago was around your ear and didn't exist, but actually he saved us from Egypt six months ago, even though he wasn't alive 15 minutes ago, but he saved us six months ago. And you say, these are officially the dumbest people in the universe. Like they are this dumb that God did and God did and God did and God did. And in 15 minutes, he leaves them by themselves. Story goes on. Aaron, who like I said, he was the one in charge at this time, realized that when Moses comes down the mountain, this is probably not going to be the best idea, okay? So when Aaron saw it, he built, watch what Aaron does. Watch what Aaron does. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What did Aaron do? What did Aaron do? They made this dumb cow, calf, out of gold, and they said, this is your God. We worship this God. And then Aaron's like, uh, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one. So what did he do? He just... No problem. Let's just, I got an idea. This God, let's just take all these ceremonies that we used to do to this God and let's just do them to this God. So it's just like, kind of like just replacement. So when Moses comes down and says, what are you guys doing? You're not doing right. We say, no, we did exactly what you told us to do. You told us burnt offerings, we did burnt offerings. You told us peace offerings, we did peace offerings. It's a feast day to the Lord. You know what, they, what Aaron did here? Is what we all do. We create a picture of God that suits us and that we want. And then we just take, so it says that we should do this to God. We just do this to this God. For example, I, I'll explain because that's a little. What we say is my God, my God doesn't care my God doesn't care if I sleep with my girlfriend before we're married. My God doesn't care. And what my God really cares about is like, is that you're offering, like, I put money in the box. I help old ladies across the street. My God doesn't care about this. This is what's really important to my God. We create a God and then we create a religion around it. You say, my God, like I said earlier, is a forgiveness machine. My God just forgives, 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 forgives. And as long as you just sincerely in your heart, and we define sincerely however we want, just say whatever prayer you want to say, just say it sincerely, my God doesn't care. And we create a God, and then we create a religion to go around that God. You say, my God, like I said, we made God small. My God can't heal my hurt. 
Like, my God can heal other people's hurts, like this hurt, this hurt, this hurt, but my God cannot heal this hurt. And then we create a way of dealing, we create a religion around a God. The best one, or I should say the worst one, but I told this to someone one time, is that sometimes we create God on demand. You know God on demand? There when you want him, goes away when you don't want him. And we bring him around, we offer sacrifices, and we turn him off and go live the rest of our lives. And we made a fake God, and we created a religion around that fake God that God only cares about or what's really important to God is, and we make up our own picture of God. Instead of worshiping God as God, instead of humbling myself and making him God, we humble him and we make him our servant. And then we find a few Bible verses, take them completely out of context, and we build our religion or our sacrifices around this fake image of God. Well, I say no more. No more. I say that today we are member Matthew 20, 33. What's our prayer for this series? It's going to be, Lord, that our eyes be opened. We take that picture, a little picture of God, we throw it away. We open our eyes to see you as you truly are. Why? Because I believe this, and I hope you believe it too, that all in all of life, how you think, leads to how you live. And if you have dysfunctional behavior, ultimately the root of it is dysfunctional thinking. And I believe that to be so true in relation to God. If you have a dysfunctional view of who God is, it will lead to a dysfunctional life. I'll say God has this. You will say, not for me, he doesn't. I will say the problem, the disconnect, is your view of God. What this series is, consider this series, your LASIK eye surgery. This is your trip to the doctor's eye doctor's office. We need to fix them eyes, and we need to heal them eyes. And we're going to remember this verse in case you ever feel like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can ever see clearly. You remember Jeremiah 29, 13, which says, You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. This series, we're going to see who God is, but it's not going to be a passive series. We're just going to sit back and Father Anthony's going to tell us all these great things and that's going to change my view of God. Man, we need to be diligent in seeking God, searching for God with all our heart, not passive, not spectator sport, but asking God, reveal yourself to me, getting rid of those misperceptions. And every time it comes up and I think God is like me, God is not like me. And I shrink God down, cannot shrink God down. And I think that I can figure him out, I cannot figure him out. He must be revealed to me. And I believe that God will reveal himself. We're going to put in our effort, and God is going to touch our eyes. And I believe that very firmly, and I hope you believe it as well. Let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us are praying together that you would open our eyes to see you, to see you high and lifted up, to see you as mighty all all-powerful, all-knowing, to see you as you really are, God. Help us to get rid of the misperceptions that have destroyed our lives and have really messed us up and messed up our relationships and messed up so many things in our head. Free us from those and give us freedom to see you as you truly are, that we can live like we can soar like eagles, knowing who you truly are, Lord. I pray for every person here. 
And I pray that you would really open some eyes during this series to see you and to begin a beautiful relationship with you, an eternal one that, that you designed for us. We ask these things in the name of your Son, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, through Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week.